The interviewer asks this uh, woman, how do you look so young? And she said, I use moisturizer, exfoliating, charcoal eye masks, eye cream, and serums. And then she asked a guy that was standing there the same question. How do you look so young? He said, I wash my face with shampoo. <laughs> you know, all the difference in the world for the same result. And the, what a, the thing is, is that this past week, as I was looking at all the different things that people had to say about generational curses, uh, I found nearly every one of them wanted to go the moisturizing, exfoliating, charcoal, eye masks, eye cream, and serums route instead of just washing your face with shampoo. You know, there's just, there's a simple way and there's a hard way. And it seems that there are a lot of people that just love to complicate things much more than they need to be complicated. And this passage in uh, the book of Exodus is one of those passages that people just really uh, have just agonized over. And uh, we went through it last week and I laid the groundwork last week in explaining that God doesn't curse people. We does visit the iniquity of the children of the fathers on the children, the children's children. Now, iniquity is different from sins and transgressions. You can sin and it not and, and it it becomes iniquity when it becomes just ingrained in you, when you practice sin. When you continually keep on doing it, and it becomes a part of your life. And the thing is, that many times winds up being passed on to children, the people in the family. Uh, there's a scriptural principle here. And the principle is that if somebody opens the door to iniquity, in their family, in their household, then things can come in. Things that you don't want to come in. You see, anytime you open the door, like if we open the back door of the sanctuary right now, the whole atmosphere in this room would change, wouldn't it? First of all, it'd get hotter. And uh, we wouldn't like that. But this is just it. And sometimes someone will wind up getting involved in a sinful activity and it's like they have opened the door into their household and they let this thing in and it stays there and it winds up being passed on down from generation to generation. And God is a God of generations. He identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And uh, it says in Psalms that uh, uh, one generation will praise him to another. All through the Bible, you see God recognizing generations. Now, the thing is, there's a scriptural principle and there's a spiritual principle at work here that people see 
in the secular world and they see it in the spiritual world and in the Christian world. In fact, it's been 20 some odd years ago, maybe more than that. I guess it's more like 30 years ago. Time's passing too quickly for me now. But there was very popular a while back whenever there's this big thing on generational curses. In fact, let's just make it clear. What we're really not, we're not talking about curses. We're talking about consequences. There are consequences that follow uh, sin. And any time that you sin, there are consequences. There is a, an effect. Just ripples go out any time you do good and any time you do bad. And it affects more people than you, whether you realize it or not. But it was popular a while back whenever people really got onto this and they started thinking, oh, man, you know, I better be free of any curses that might be on me from stuff that my grandparents performed or maybe maybe a great 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 grandfather somebody way back there may have done something and I need to confess it and I need to uh, get anything connected with it out of my life and the thing is that the people would do genealogies and they would study real hard to make sure that they tried to cover every sin that had ever been committed in their family that they could come across. I mean, man, I'd cover enough of that stuff just accidentally. You know, I don't have to dig for it. You know, I, like a, I think I've shared with y'all that I, my uh, four greats grandfather, who wound up being a Methodist circuit rider, wound up down in the Texas area because he had to leave Kentucky because the, he'd been, uh, anyway, he killed a man. And uh, he left because the sheriff, whose last name happened to be the same last name as the county and the name of the guy that he'd killed. Obviously, the guy was a bad guy. And he had also wounded one of Abraham Lincoln's uh, relatives, this uh, bad guy that uh, my relative wound up killing. And it was after a sheriff's election that they wound up with a warrant to go out and get my four greats grandfather. But so anyway, I didn't know that. And I wasn't real happy in finding that. But he did come on down. And somewhere along the way between Kentucky and Texas in Louisiana, probably he was converted, soundly converted and became a Methodist circuit rider and lived a good life after that, from all we know. So, but anyway, so you can uncover things in your family tree without even looking for them. Just discovered this last week that on my grandfather's side, on my mom's side, that uh, my, I guess his three greats grandfather was married to his first cousin. You know, I mean, you just don't even, this stuff just pops up. You know, you don't have to look for it. It's there. So, but these people were digging and digging and digging, you know, I don't want to know. It just, but so anyway, just digging and they were just going crazy, just praying about all this stuff. And so anyway, but that was very popular about 30 years ago. Interesting. It was about the same time that in the secular world, dysfunctional families, family system theory came about. 
or became popular, where uh, had to do primarily with, first of all, with uh, uh, alcoholism and with addictions, addictive personalities, and how there were certain uh, family types. There are certain types in each family. And uh, this is whatever I started studying psychology quite a bit. And my conclusion got to be after it was all over that unless you're from a dysfunctional family, you're not normal because everybody's got messed up people in their family. You know, none of us are perfect. We're all messed up. That's why we need the Lord. We all need the Lord. And the, but the thing is, is that uh, uh, people just went crazy over that stuff. You, I saw people, they would go through, one woman, she went through uh, the 12-step program as an alcoholic. And it's after that that she discovered that her uh, father was an alcoholic. So she went through the same program again as an adult child of an alcoholic. I mean, the same, the same stuff. And she said it just really was going at it from that aspect. Just really, you know, the, the thing is, all this stuff, all this analysis, and this is what I would do many times is I would prayerfully help people to understand what was going on in their own life. But the analysis or psychology is very good in helping you to understand why you do what you do. But it doesn't really give you any real answers. You're going to keep on going. It might stop you so you don't continue the downward spiral, but you'll keep going in circles without the Lord. And the thing is, whenever you bring the Lord into the picture, you quit going around in circles and you can go in a straight line again. And this is one of the most wonderful things about uh, uh, the gospel. You see, this is the bottom line. God doesn't deal with analysis. And I've seen people just, oh, I just I wonder why I do this. And they self-analyze and they, they go to counselors and all. And then they, okay, this happened, this happened. Blaming other people doesn't get rid of your sin. And this is what it comes down to. Whenever you stand before Jesus Christ, on the day of judgment, you're not going to be held accountable for your father's sin or your mother's sin or your grandfather's sin or your great grandfather's sin. You're going to, and you're not going to be held accountable for what Adam or Eve did back in the Garden of Eden. You're not going to be held accountable for any of that. All you're going to be held accountable for is your sin. Your sin. You can't blame anybody else for your sin. You make choices. They're good choices or bad choices. You make them. And the thing is that uh, it's much simpler than people want to make it. Can you see that? It's really, I wash my face with shampoo, not all the emollients and all this other stuff. And I'll give you a personal uh, example about how this works, how God works in my own life. And this is uh, 
This was a breakthrough for me. And so this is why I share it with you. And this is why this particular passage is so important. You see, it's at the very heart of the gospel. You read here where it says, where God describes himself, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. That sounds wonderful. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And in another place in the, the Old Testament, it adds uh, to those who hate me. And the thing is, somehow there's a way to jump from the side of being in iniquity and sin to the side where you are in his loving kindness and his mercy. And somehow there's a gap to be bridged and somehow this can come about. Well, after I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and responded to the call to go in the ministry, several years later, I started, and you grow, you grow. As you give yourself to the Lord, He's constantly got you on a growing edge and helping you to see where your next step is. Well, I began to, the Lord began to show me some things about myself and other people helped me, help the Lord to show me these things too, I must say. Uh, whenever I would be in the kitchen, two things I love to do is cook and uh, do things myself that I don't have to pay other people to do. And uh, so there was uh, like, like mechanic work. I would find myself in the kitchen cooking, going to fix a really neat meal for the family. Inevitably, someone would come in and lift the lid on the rice that was cooking and mess up my rice time. And they were always trying to stir stuff that it wasn't time to stir it and things like that. And I would wind up getting in a bad mood and barking at people. It got so bad and I hated to hurt people. And so, not physically, but just barking at them, you know. But I hated hurting people like that. And so I made a rule, stay out of the kitchen while I'm cooking. You know, that's not the way to handle that, really, you know. But that's the only way I could think of at the moment. And then, whenever I would be working on a car, replacing a starter or a water pump or something like that, I would find myself getting in a bad mood. And I didn't like it because I realized the people that taught me how to cook, the people that taught me how to work on cars, they could do it while they were laughing and visiting with me. And I would pray, Lord, why can't I do that? What's going on? Something's wrong. And then I ran across this uh, uh, comment that if you find yourself being angry beyond what's going on in your life, if you find yourself in bad moods at inexplicable times, it could be 
that there is a deep sorrow or sadness that you need to deal with in your life. And I thought, well, maybe that's it. But I don't know what it is. And so I just prayed one night that the Lord would just show me. And the Lord just gave me a, a vision of me. First of all, I was in my uh, I was in the, the service station working on a car. And my dad had come up and was barking at me about something. And he stomped off mad while I was still checking the the grease in the back of the rear axle. And uh, I uh, and I remember standing there being angry as I was working on the car. I was just angry. And then he took me to another time where I was standing on a dirt road beside the service station. I'd ask my, get, my dad to teach me how to pitch and throw a ball because I'd ask other kids that could throw and pitch well who taught them. They said, well, my dad did. So I said, okay. And I started, I always call my dad Joe. I don't know why. I guess because I grew up, uh, my first few years, we were living with grandparents uh, in the household, and they all called my mom and dad, Billie Jean and Joe. So I went up calling my grandparents, or no, my parents, Billie Jean and Joe. We tried to switch to mom and dad later. It just didn't work. But uh, So anyway, I asked my dad to teach me how to throw a ball and how to catch one. He took me around the side of the station there, Oh, come on. You know, he took me around there, threw the ball a couple of times. I couldn't catch it. I tried to throw it back. I couldn't throw it. You know, that's what I'd ask him to teach me how to do. And he got angry and stomped. I remember standing there because I was so excited about him going to teach me how to do something and him stomping off, yelling over his shoulder how dumb and stupid I was. And I knew I wasn't dumb and stupid. And I was not dumb and stupid enough to think that uh, or not to notice that he wasn't doing what he told me he would do. And uh, he was mad at me because I couldn't do what I asked him to teach me how to do. Well, I was standing with tears in my eyes. And I remember thinking it wasn't the first time he had hurt me deeply like that. And I said to myself, you're never going to make me cry again. And I became just a tough little engine. And I found other people. I said, and I also decided if I can't get you to help me and to teach me, then I'll just have to teach myself. And so I became a very self-taught person, very independent person. And I found other mentors, other people that were willing to teach me. And I learned how to do a whole lot of stuff that my dad never could do. So, but the thing is that those two things, all of a sudden it hit me. The Lord revealed to me my deep sorrow or sadness. You see, I'd already forgiven my dad for a lot of physical and verbal stuff that he had done to me through the years. But it hit me there was something I hadn't forgiven him for. I hadn't forgiven him for not being the father that I wished that I'd had. And you know, there are a lot of people that did not have the parents they wished they had. And that's their deep sorrow or sadness, just like it was mine. So much so that you remember the, the movie Field of Dreams? 
Do you remember what happens at the very end of that movie? He's playing pitch with his dad. And it's something that he'd always wanted to do. And I realized that I was spending a lot of my life trying to go back and claim a moment that could never be. And this is one of the things that you have to do when you find that deep sorrow or sadness in your life that's causing current sinful activity in your life. The thing that you need to do is you need to be sure that you have forgiven the other people, forgiven the person that hurt you. And then in this situation, if you had parents that weren't the sort of parents, things from your past, you cannot relive the past. You can't go back and undo things that have already been done. But what you can do, if someone has hurt you, if someone has harmed you, if there's something from your past that you grieve to this day, this is just it. That's the secret. You grieve the past and then you let it go because it's over. It's over. And this is where Jesus' announcement in the fourth chapter of Luke comes in when he proclaimed what he came to do. And it, you sum it up as he came to free us from our past so we can really live in the present and we can look forward to the future. That's what he came to do. He spells it out. He announced it at the very beginning of his ministry. And at the end of his ministry, he made a way for us to be freed from our past so we could live in the present and look forward to the future. He took care of our past on the cross. Now, there's a part that we play in that we have to forgive those who have hurt us. We have to let those things go and let them be done. And until you let those things go, as long as you're harboring bitterness, and it may be that this morning is the first time that some of you have realized that you've been harboring some sort of resentment towards somebody in the past, and you need to let it go. Grieve it, let it be, and move on away from it with the Lord. He has a present for you, a right now that's good, and a future that's good. Well, uh, the thing is, after I realized what was going on in my life, and I prayerfully forgave my father, and asked the Lord for forgiveness for harboring bitterness against my father, then all of a sudden, I remembered something else. Whose little hand was it that was reaching into the cabinet as I was wheeling around to grab a bowl and found somebody in my way? Whose feet were, it, were there that were in my way and I couldn't reach my toolbox to grab something when I was feeling around from underneath the car. It was my son. And all of a sudden, I was crushed. 
because all the time growing up, I had said, I'm never going to be the sort of father to my son that my dad was to me. Never. And I tried hard not to be like that. And I wound up being just like him, just in a different way. See, the main thing is my dad was there, but he wasn't there. As I, there was a little boy that was wanting me to teach him how to do stuff. And I did the same thing. I didn't teach him because he was in the way. He was wanting to learn. And I wanted him to get out of the way so I could get my stuff done. And that was my sin. And you know what, it's, what Jesus said about those who lead little ones astray? You know what he says about those? He said it would be better if a millstone was hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. How many of us have misled our children? How many of us have led them astray by holding on to worldly ways of doing things instead of confessing them, being free from them so we could really treat our kids the way that the Lord wanted us to treat them? You see, this is how the sins of the fathers are visited on the children to the third and the fourth generation. I'm not held accountable for anybody's sin in my past. I'm held accountable for mine. And I'm held accountable for the wrong teaching I may have given my kids that's leading them astray or has led them astray. When that hit me, I thought and I prayed, Lord, when does it end? My dad was just passing his pain on to me. You see, my grandmother that's how far back I could go as far as the pain goes. Her mom died shortly after she was born and she wound up being raised by her grandmother and her uncle. And uh, while her father and older siblings were right down the road. And later on in life, she did get to live with them. But she didn't. She thought that her father gave her up because he didn't love her. And I can remember her crying and said, trying to convince herself, saying, my father loved me. I know he loved me. Just trying to convince herself of it. That was her pain. And she passed it on to her kids. And then her kids have passed it on to their kids. So where does it stop? It stops with us. It does not have to continue. I pray, God, how do I stop it? Because if my kid does this, then his kid's going to do it. And it's always three or four generations on down. And in the world, you see, it just keeps on going. But whenever you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of a sudden, old things are passed away and things become new. And you're transformed. Your life is transformed. There's a spiritual change in your DNA, uh, both your spiritual DNA and your, anyway, anyway, in your DNA, in, in, in your makeup. You change. 
But the thing is, how do you move this? How do you separate? How do you move this on? Well, what I had to do, you pray, first of all, Lord, how do I undo what I have done? And no matter how old you are, you can still do this. Just pray, Lord, show me what to do. And if you're seeking to do his will, he'll show you. And the thing is with me, what I had to do was I had to confess to my son and explain to him what I had discovered and explain that I realized now that I had been a dad that was there but wasn't there and just tell him how sorry I was for having hurt him so. Well, I had the opportunity to do so whenever uh, Joel blew the uh, engine in my Fiat and... Uh, I love that car. But anyway, uh, I had to pick him up at A&M and drive him home. And uh, as we were driving, uh, we were out in the middle of the country, nowhere to, nobody around. This was the time. And so I explained to him, and he knew exactly what I was talking about. I cried, he cried, and I cried so hard I had to pull over on the side of the road. We just got out and we hugged. And reconciliation took place between us. There had been a barrier between us that I never really knew could go away. And all of a sudden, it was gone. And it's still gone today. And for that, I'm grateful. But the see, you see, it's not a matter of going back and looking for stuff. The Lord starts with you where you are right now and your sin. You deal with your sin. He'll show you how to deal with it and how to apply the blood of the cross to your sin and how to make amends with those that you are leading astray. And just because you confess to someone and ask their forgiveness doesn't mean they're going to forgive you. But at least you're setting a pattern. You're changing the pattern. And just because you confess to someone and ask them to forgive you doesn't mean they're going to change their ways. That's going to be up to them. And so, but the thing is, you deal with your sin. And then once you have done that, then they have been set free. And they are now totally responsible for their sin and have a chance to quit blaming you and start calling upon the name of the Lord themselves. Well, this is the way this works in real life, folks. It's very simple, very simple, but it's just as simple as the cross. You see, that's where we move from being under sin and iniquity and judgment over to having God's mercy and His grace. It begins in our heart with true repentance and turning to God. As you do that, He'll help you from that point on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.